0: The following podcast contains explicit language. It may snow tonight. Really? Thank you very much. Wow. To whom it may concern. She sees the future. Huh. Well, no. she understands TV.
1: Hey all this is Represent, and I'm Aisha Harris. We're popping in from our hiatus because a new movie recently came out that is causing a little bit of debate about its cultural representation. And that movie would be Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. His second animated feature after Fantastic Mr. Fox, this time around the adored filmmaker takes his aesthetic cues from Japanese filmmakers and artists, with a story about a Japanese mayor who banishes all dogs to an island following the spread of a dog flu. So the dogs speak English and are voiced by mostly American actors, while the Japanese characters primarily speak in Japanese sans English subtitles. There's also an American exchange student, voiced by Greta Gerwig, who becomes a ringleader of sorts in attempting to save the banished dogs. Considering Anderson's track record as one of the whitest directors in Hollywood, the merits of Isle of Dogs has been rightfully called into question, including by my guest today, Mashable writer Angie Han, who wondered... Why is Isle of Dogs set in Japan? I also wonder that too. I don't think it's ever
0: made clear in the movie. <laughs> Welcome, Angie. It's great to have you on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah, so I actually saw this sitting next to you at a screening, press screening. I met you last year um, at while well, we were doing a panel at I was going to say South but No, at but, Comic-Con. Yep. <laughs> a very lovely panel about women film critics uh, that was put together by our friend Alicia Malone. Um, but so we ran into each other at the screening, and we sat next to each other, and we chatted a little bit afterwards about it, and a lot of what you mentioned was actually in this piece that you wrote for Mashable, but can you talk a little bit more about like what your relationship is to Wes Anderson You know, even before going into this, and then elaborate a bit more on this idea that this movie didn't really need to be set in Japan.
0: Uh, well, I mean, going into this movie, like, I like Wes Anderson, not as much as some of our other colleagues. Like, I know some people are just over the moon. He's, like, one of their favorite filmmakers. I wouldn't count myself among that list, but, like, you know, I like the Royal Tenenbaums. Like, I thought Grand Budapest was really charming, whatever. So it's, you know, I, I like Wes Anderson. That said, as soon as I saw the trailers for this, I was like, uh, Okay, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I mean, I didn't want to judge it because before I'd seen it. So at the time, I was like, "All right, we'll just put a pin in this and wait and see where it goes." Mm -hmm. And then when I went to go see the movie, I was like, "You know, like it's it's not like." wildly, like, maliciously offensive or anything. Like, I didn't feel like Wes Anderson was like, I'm, I'm going to sit out to, like, mock Japanese people or anything. But I do think there's a sort of thoughtlessness to the way that he uses Japanese culture that didn't quite sit right with me. I mean, there was still a lot of things about the movie that I really liked. Like, the dogs are really cute, and like, you know, the animation is fantastic, like, the voice work is excellent, but... The way it uses Japanese culture just made me a little bit uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. You you say at one point in the piece that while watching it, it's hard not to think that the US is maybe the last country on earth that should be preaching about how awful it would be if the Japanese carted off an unfairly maligned American coded population to an internment camp. Now, I didn't really consider this while watching the movie, but when you say when you put it that way, it makes me realize, wow, this, this could be read in a way as some sort of allegory for, unintentionally, I think, for, well, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to put words or thoughts into his mouth. But um, it does seem like it could be in ways uncomfortably bringing up these images of the Japanese internment camps in America.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's just kind of a thing that's throughout this film. He kind of brings in imagery and uses Japanese culture and like, uses you know Japanese language in ways where I don't think that he's really considering the context of, like, the historical or cultural context of these things that he's using. Like, for example, um, the fact that he... Has all the, Amer- the dogs speaking English, American English mostly, and then the human speaking Japanese. Like I think that that creates a distance fr- between the audience and the human characters in a way that is kind of intentional. In that he does want you to sympathize with dogs, but he, but it, it also seems I don't think he necessarily intended for us to like see these Asian people as like strange and foreign and mysterious in a and and like i don't think he considered how that fits into a long history that hollywood has of not treating asian characters as being quite as human or as relatable as uh white people
1: right it, it's it's interesting because the way i think anderson may see it or the way i can see him seeing his decision to make it so that the japanese characters are all speaking in their native tongue and without subtitles although there is occasionally an offhand like interpretation and that interpreter is voiced by Francis McDormand Um, and so I can see him thinking well this is me letting them Be what they are in this this world and not having to give them subtitles for an American audiences. That's making it too easy for American audiences. Like, it's like when you watch a show where there are Latino characters and they're speaking, they mix in the Spanglish and the English, and they don't translate the Spanish into English, I think maybe that could be something that he's you're making a face at me no, no, like no, no. <laughs> I,
0: I agree with you like i think i don't think that he was doing it out of malice i think right. that i mean throughout this movie you do get the sense that he does really admire the uh you know sort of art that he the films that are being referenced he seems to admire like the artistic styles that he's bringing into this like a lot of kurosawa right like filmmaker. it, it yeah. does feel like he has some genuine affection for it i just don't think that he's gone the next step and kind of thought about like okay but how do, how does this culture that I'm borrowing like what kind of relationship does it have with the culture that I'm from and the culture that I am making this movie for mm-hmm. um, and I think that's where it kind of falls apart. I don't necessarily have a great solution like I'm not like oh you know but if only he'd subtitled the Japanese characters this would have been a perfect movie like that's not where I'm at like I don't necessarily have like a here's one magic thing you could have done to fix this and make it perfect. Um but it just, but I just know that when I was watching it, there were like lots of little things that kind of added up like that, and started to make me feel a little bit like uh, okay.
1: Well, one of the co-writers is actually Japanese, um, and I think they he may have been the one who wrote a lot of the Japanese dialogue. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear his takes on on all of this interpretation and like how much he was actually involved with with you know the final product that showed up, um, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it does become like a question of, you know, w- is was there a way to make this movie and still set it in Japan and have it be better in terms of its cultural representation than what it is? Because I, one thing I don't see most, you know, film critics, Asian American film critics, like yourself arguing is that you know no no person should be able to take from you know these different no white person should be able to take from their japanese influences there are plenty of um films that pay homage to japanese filmmakers and asian filmmakers and 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 all that without feeling so exoticized in that way um but like then the question is like (laughs) maybe wes anderson isn't capable of that I wonder if he is because if we take a step back and look at some of the other films he's done as I said you know in the opening he is one of the whitest filmmakers in Hollywood and by that I mean his worlds that he creates he very rarely ever engages with not like with people of color or people who are not white and when he does it's always <laughs> it's usually in a very uneasy way Um I haven't seen Darjeeling Limited, his 2007 film with Owen Wilson, uh, Adrian Brody, and... Is it
0: Jason Schwartzman? Jason
1: Schwartzman, yes. I haven't seen that movie since it came out. And in fact, it's actually, I think, the first Wes Anderson movie I ever saw, which is partially why I've never been that much of a fan of Wes Anderson. (laughs) But that movie is, you know, it's all about these three brothers. They play three brothers who are kind of on a journey to find themselves and... They go to India, and I came across this piece from Slate that actually came out right around the time that the movie came out. While you know prepping for this this discussion, and you know Jonah Weiner wrote about the problematic ways in which this movie engages with race. There, one of the things is that you know he he Weizenbaum basically gives in to the the very American, even Western version of the white person going to South Asia to find themselves and taking all of the very superficial leanings teachings things of you know gurus and all that stuff um and and we see this through their eyes as as just a way for them to better themselves while all of the characters around them all of the people of color characters the indian characters around them are just kind of you know discarded easily or are just serve as like a function to further the white man's salvation and so when you look at that and when you look at something like isle of dogs you just have to wonder you know is it possible i don't know if les anderson is, is capable of of making a film that is uh self-aware <laughs> i think that's what a lot of this lacks is self-awareness yeah um and is sensitive to these other cultures that it attempts to engage with he does really well with white american you know upper class whatever like that's what he's great at. But when it comes to engaging with these other ideas, it just falls flat.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I don't want to be like, you know, never say never. Like, I don't know. I don't know him personally. I don't know his journey. You never know what's going to happen. And I do think it's possible for a uh, white filmmaker to make a movie that is, you know, set in a diff- different culture or something. Oh, for and for sure. To, you Sean, know, like,
1: Sean Baker is one example who directed Tangerine and Florida Project.
0: Right. Or like even, you know, like Coco, for example, is another example last year where I believe that was made by, like, you know, white director. And stuff, or uh, Moana, I think, also from Disney. Like, so it is possible. Like, you can do it. And I know people have some objections with any of these, but I think largely they felt to me a lo- like they were more carefully considered than this.
1: Well, I think with those examples too, they like the they are spearheaded by white directors, but then they're also collaborating. Like, Adrian Molina exactly. was on Coco, and they have they they bring in these cultural like for lack of a better words these like cultural boards I think they actually yeah. call them boards of, of people from the cultures to like offer feedback and advice
0: yeah I think there's a it's just it just seems like they have more um they try harder to get input from people of color to or like people from these cultures to kind of help shape the movie that they're making in a in a way that I you know despite the presence of yes one Japanese co-writer on Isle of Dogs I did not get the impression that he kind of thought about it too much and I do think that like so yes of course a white film filmmaker can, you know, should feel like he can and should explore other cultures and whatnot. But I think that in Wes Anderson's case, there's an obliviousness to how he's dealing with this, and I haven't seen him seem look like he is willing to kind of fill in these gaps that he has in his knowledge. Like I don't think he has at least nothing in Isle of Dogs. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to claim to know what research he did while making the movie. I wasn't there, but it, nothing in. This movie on screen reads like he tried really hard to reckon with, like, what this context meant, and not just for Japanese people in Japan or Asian people in Asia, but also for Asian Americans in the audience. Like, it's very obvious that this movie is made for American people, but I don't think that—I think when he thought who was going to be the audience, he did not necessarily think— Asian-Americans are also part of this American audience that he has in mind. So it's funny that you mentioned that because
1: there's actually a blog post that's been going around. It came out last week, and it's from the blog, You Offend Me, You Offend My Family, or Yom Yomf, for short. Sure. Um, and this was written by the, the, the blogger's name is Philip. And the headline is, quote, I don't care if Asians in Asia aren't offended by offensive Asian portrayals in Hollywood movies. And I feel like this piece. Now, obviously, I am not an Asian American, but I've I've heard rumblings of these this sort of thought before, and this is but this is the first time I've really seen it in this form and this forcefully. And you know, he argues that the reason why you often see Asian people from who are from Asia, who live in Asia, um, and are not Asian American, are often like, oh, this movie, is something like Ghost in the Shell. Doesn't offend me. It's fine. It was great to see Scarlett Johansson playing ostensibly. Spoiler alert: a a white white droid in an Asian body. Um.
0: <laughs> I think it's the other way around. I think she is a Japanese bo- a person who was put into a white body that looks like Scarlett Johansson. Right. Sorry. Yes. That's right. It's 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 all very convoluted. It's anyway, very strange.
1: <laughs> um, the reason why you see that is because they don't have the same experiences and. It is true. Like so often we have this flattening of Asian audiences and we think that and also as Americans, like American businessmen are so caught up on like what how a movie does in China and blah, 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 and like never really thinks about what the Asian community is doing. So I feel like Wes Anderson is actually just like pretty much so many Hollywood filmmakers and and businessmen, they, they don't think about the Asian American community and realize that there's a, a big difference between the experiences there and here. And Phil, in this blog post, also, I'll, I'll read one part where he says, why? Because they grew up and live in countries where they are the majority, where all the people around them look like they do. Because their native movies and TV shows are full of people who not only look like them, but are portrayed in all their three-dimensional glory as heroes, villains, lovers, fighters, etc. And... That's very true. And I, I, I don't know. I just thought it was important to, to point that out because it does seem unfortunate that there is that flattening.
0: Yeah, it's something that seems to come up, I think, like anytime there's a, a kind of debate going on about whether a Hollywood movie is uh, offensive to Asian people or whatever, like there's always this kind of you will inevitably get someone being like, well, you know, Asian people in Asia didn't find it offensive or like you know a trade will quote some moviegoer in asia being like i thought it was great like whatever um but like you said there's a flattening of it where it seems like you know there'll be people being like well i don't know why you were offended by isle of dogs because like actual asians weren't um so <laughs>
1: and what does that even mean actually
0: it's, right. it's terrible yeah but it's but that's the thing like it's you know i it, i feel like Asian Americans are in this weird situation where people will not think of us as like, quote unquote, real Asians, because they'll be like, well, real Asians in Asia, they didn't care. But then they're also clearly not thinking of us as real Americans, because they're like, you know, not kind of taking these criticisms that we have and thinking that like, these are American people that are criticizing this movie. I'm an American person who is watching this movie in America and, you know, having weird feelings about it. So it's it's a like you said it they're they're just kind of flattening it and it's also very frustrating because just because some Asian dude that I've never met or heard of doesn't find this offensive or annoying doesn't mean that I have to agree with him. Right. Like, it's, it's the cherry picking. So yes. Let's just
1: choose the the response that I want and that's what I'll go with.
0: You could just as easily be like, well, you know, Angie Hahn was offended by it, so I guess it's offensive. Like, it makes it as much sense as that. Like, just holding up one person's opinion as like, well, this person said this, so I guess everyone has to agree with this person now. Yeah. I, I want to wrap
1: wrap up by just noting... Well, for one thing, I'm torn by this movie because I, I really, as a dog owner, <laughs> and I love my dog, uh, shout out to Lucy. She, uh, <laughs> but I, I love this movie and I thought there were so many great dog moments and I wish there was more of that. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to look at this movie also and just wonder, as you did in your piece, like this movie didn't have to be set in Japan. It just didn't. Like, there's nothing about it that screams, you know, this is very specific to Japanese culture, other than just the fact that it's set there by Wes Anderson's decision to do so. My second thing is Jen Yamato, who is a critic at the. Um, the LA Times, she made a good point. She's been calling people out on Twitter about, especially white critics, about not engaging with this and 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 instead choosing to you know love the dogs and love all the the great voice voiceover work. I think all of the voiceover work is really great and it's a great cast. But I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Are you do you feel as though you feel burdened in a way by having to write about this in this way while other white critics and non-Asian critics are just kind of, you know, dancing around it or just not choosing to engage with it at all?
0: I mean, I wrote about it because I wanted to write about it and I felt like it was something worth talking about. So I'm not mad that I wrote about it. But at the same time, I have found it kind of surprising and disappointing how little this conversation, like it seems like it's a few Asian American critics having this conversation and most people kind of just looking the other way. And I understand that not everyone feels like, you know, I I feel like with some white critics I've talked to, they kind of are like, well, I just didn't feel like this was my expertise. I didn't feel like maybe this was my lane or whatever. But um, yeah, I I do. I've also seen, though, where some people just kind of seem to be like, well, you know, but I liked it and his heart is in the right place. It's not a problem. And that's one thing that I find uh, kind of kind of frustrating about this entire conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just wish that when we were talking about movies like I Love Dogs, there's a lot of things that I did like about the movie, like all the pet stuff. It's just like I almost cried at some points because it's just so, such a cute like boy and his dog story. So and, there's a and lot of
1: things. it's funny too sometimes. It's very
0: funny. Yeah. yeah. Like Tilda Swinton as a pug is just, she's <laughs> going to be one of my favorite characters of the year. Um, but at the same time, there were things that I found problematic and uncomfortable and uh, you know, that I didn't like about it. And I feel like we need to be a little, we need to get to a place where we're comfortable admitting, yes, I like this thing. Also, it's problematic. Those things can coexist. I think that that's where maybe the conversation isn't happening. I feel like some people maybe feel a little defensive, like, look, I love this movie. I love Wes Anderson. And I don't want to think about how Wes Anderson might have kind of screwed this up a little bit. Um, but I think that if we're going to move forward, that that is something we need to get comfortable with is that there's a lot of gray areas. There's a lot of things that are both good and bad.
1: Yeah. Thank you. That is that is so much of what the show is about. <laughs> so like some of these things we really, really like, but there's also parts of it that we don't. And I think that I, I honestly I get more excited by things that um, I have to wrestle with. than I can just fully. like. Obviously, there are things that I love to fully love or fully loathe because that's fun to do, too. Right. But I do like when we can, you know, have these conversations and really challenge ourselves to think about the things we're consuming.
0: Yeah, I mean, Wes Anderson might be kind of oblivious in Isle of Dogs, but that doesn't mean we have to be. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this.
1: Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to
0: touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited
1: time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. So before we go, we wanted to return to one of our long-running segments, although we haven't done this segment in a long time, uh, which is our Plus or Delta and since we haven't done this segment in a while, we should probably explain what this is, which is during a plus and Delta segment, we discuss one thing that we feel was good or really exciting or just uh, we're, we're happy about that happened in representation, whereas a Delta is something that we either find problematic or straight up or just side-eyeing, whatever. Now, I think we can say that this whole discussion... We leaned a little bit more towards Delta, so that'll just be our Delta, and we'll just each choose a plus. And so what is your plus for this week?
0: Um, Well, I don't think this news is from this week, but I know recently Ava DuVernay was tapped to direct uh, direct New Gods, a DC movie for Warner Brothers. And it was right after Wrinkle in Time came out, and that made me happy because I think that— You know, Wrinkle in Time. There were people were very mixed on it. Its box office was like fine, but not amazing. And I just kind of there was a worry in me where like you know, whenever someone who's not a white guy gets an opportunity, there's always this anxiety that I have that like this has to be amazing and perfect, or you know, like everything's riding on this person being like being a success. And I was it was very encouraging to me to be like to see someone make something that's not like a runaway success and still kind of be able to move on like I you know she absolutely deserves it but I do think that there's a lot of times where white guys get second chances that other kinds of people don't so it was so I was like great I'm happy that someone who's not a white guy is still getting the benefit of the doubt so people are still kind of seeing what that she's an incredible filmmaker even for last film wasn't perfect and that we're moving on plus also I mean it's a superhero movie directed by Ava DuVernay of course I want to see this this is so exciting <laughs>
1: yeah I know nothing about New Gods though I've been told that even big comic book nerds don't really know about it so it seems like it's a pretty obscure property but I think that might be to her benefit and better because then she can really just do whatever she wants with it kind of like what happened with Guardians of the Galaxy where most people you know this was not one of the better-known comic book franchises or whatever, and then it turned out to be, like, a very decent, enjoyable movie that could be enjoyed because there weren't so many high expectations of it.
0: Yeah, I do think that with, uh, you know, I think when you're adapting something really popular, it's a double-edged sword because, like, on the one hand, people are already excited about it, but on the other hand, people have a lot of strong ideas about what they think Superman is supposed to be like or, you know, Captain America or whatever that they don't, I think, have with something that isn't as well-known. So I think that that gives her a lot of space to make it her own. And I'm really excited to see what she does with it. Cool.
1: Well, my plus is that finally, as of yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday, as of yesterday, One Day at a Time, was finally renewed for season three. I'm so excited. If you haven't been on social media or read a lot of... There have been so many pieces over the last, I don't know, month or two. Like save save one day at a time it's on the chopping block the uh showrunner gloria calderon Collette, who we actually had on last year to talk about the show was you know on twitter saying y'all please let netflix know that you want to watch this and 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 do this and now it's finally renewed and i'm so happy because i finally i was one of those slow books i finally finished season two just earlier this over this past weekend and i was i'm not going to spoil it but i was like almost crying. It it really got me. There were moments of it just reminded me of things that are happening in my life now. And it made me really emotional. And the performances are great. And it just touches on so many things that it, yes, it's a laugh track show, which you have to kind of get over that hump. And it's often very corny. But then it's also just often very different and talking about things we don't usually see. Um, one thing in particular is just there's a really intense argument between the lead character played by Justina Machado and her mother played by Rita Moreno and they have this big fight about like the mother being like trying to interfere in her life. And I was just like, we don't usually I mean, we do see these things, but like to see this sort of relationship, I think, and the way it plays out is just really fascinating. So I'm so excited for that.
0: Yeah. I'm, so I am I, I'm also one of those people that was a little late, but I did start it before they um, renewed it. I'm in the middle, or I'm in the beginning of season two right now. And it's just, I, I was so surprised by it because it's not really the kind of show that I usually watch, like family sitcoms, but it's... As you said, it it just does so many things so well that it makes it look easy. Like it just goes from like being really si- silly, really cheesy, goofy show to being intensely emotional in a way that like when they do it, it works. Whereas I know I've seen other shows where they they don't make tonal adjustments that well. And uh, the characters are just so lovable. Like, it, it just feels like a family that I want to, like, go and hang out on their couch. Exactly. Just like Schneider, their neighbor. <laughs> exactly. Like, I I relate to him because I'm like, I mean, you know, this these people are amazing. I also want to just kind of insert myself into this family and just be around them all the time
1: (laughs) (laughs) well if you haven't already checked out one day at a time you definitely should and we will also have a link to all the things we talked about on this show including Angie's piece on Mashable and where can people find your your work well on Mashable obviously but
0: people can find my work (laughs) on Mashable Um, they can find me on Twitter at AJHAN awesome
1: well thank you so much Angie it was great
0: having you on it was a pleasure
1: Represent is produced by the lovely, amazing Verilynn Williams. Our excellent social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. And our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk-soul band, Midtown Social. Until next time.